says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. And Father, we humbly ask as we continue now in our worship, as we've prayed and Saying, Lord, we ask as an act of worship now as we continue by opening the word of God that you would help us to give you our attention, that we would truly have, Lord, an ear to hear what your spirit would want to say to this part of your church assembled today. And as we open the word of God and let this particular portion of your holy scripture speak what your spirit inspired and intended from the day it was first recorded. So, Lord, help us. We want to, we need to hear your voice. We ask by your spirit you would speak personally and directly to each one of us. Bless your word. We ask in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 You may be seated. You know, it's often well been said before that God is much more interested uh, in not so much our ability, but our availability. And a lot of times we're very concerned about our ability and how much ability we have or maybe the lack thereof. And the reality is at the end of the day is God is much more concerned about our availability than he is our ability. That is just our our willingness to be available to him, to make ourselves available to God, how he might want to work in our life or certainly ultimately work through our life. And as followers of Jesus, we are called, each one of us, to serve the Lord in various capacities and different ways. And in our service to the Lord, we want to be effective. We want to be productive and useful for God as his servant. And Paul here in our passage is giving Timothy advice really on how he could be effective the most efficient, the most useful to the Lord as a servant of God. And he shares with Timothy, we'll see in this passage here, some important principles that he can remember and that he should employ in his own life. If you look back with me in the first verse there as we begin to look at this, he says to him, first of all, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. So again, Paul writing to Timothy this sort of mentor uh, and sort of mentor-protege relationship we've been looking at. Paul, the older minister, writing to Timothy, this younger servant of the Lord who Paul raised up and taught and kind of had as an apprentice alongside of him. And Timothy is now kind of on one of his assignments. He's there independent. He's pastoring the church of Ephesus that Paul had planted. And Timothy is now pastoring and leading that church. And he's dealing with challenges and difficulties. And Paul now giving Timothy advice in this book again here I think interestingly enough after years and understand this is Paul's as we said this is his last written letter before he dies and passes the baton if you would spiritually to the next generation so here's Paul with years and years of spiritual maturity as a man of God 
as a minister, as a servant of the Lord with years of spiritual experience and maturity, he exhorts younger Timothy now regarding an emphasis here in verse 1, an emphasis about what he should establish and maintain as that emphasis not only for his life, but also for his service unto the Lord. And you notice that emphasis, verse 1, we read it there, was that he was to be strong in grace. And grace, again, is that undeserved favor that comes from God. It's the kindness and the blessing of God for unworthy subjects. It's just God's unwarranted favor and kindness that's directed towards us. And that God is kind and blesses us. It describes how he blesses us, though we're undeserving of it. And notice Paul indicates that this grace is found and experienced. You look at the text there, verse 1. He says, it's a grace that is in Christ Jesus. That's important because it's in Christ and it's in an experience with Jesus Christ that God most clearly demonstrates his grace to us. It's often been said before, they take the word grace, G-R-A-C-E. Some people say that could represent very well God's riches at Christ's expense. That is that it's in Jesus and our experience with Jesus that God most clearly and freely demonstrates and distributes his grace to us. Jesus is the source whereby we receive grace from. John chapter 1 verse 16 says, from the fullness of his grace, we've received grace upon grace from the fullness of jesus grace we receive grace upon grace it's like the the ocean waves that come in on the shoreline just wave after wave after wave it's unceasing and that's like the waves of god's grace that come through jesus blessing upon blessing kindness and help and favor through jesus christ and it's in that experience with jesus that we encounter the grace of god now to me, it's interesting in verse 1 that Paul says to Timothy, here's his advice to him regarding an emphasis for his life. He says, Timothy, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. Now, to me, that's insightful because consider this. Paul could have told Timothy to be strong in lots of other different things, many of which I think would not have been bad or you know, uh, unimportant ways to emphasize. He could have said, Timothy... Be strong in preaching while you're there in Ephesus and you're pastoring this church that I planted and now you're pastoring Timothy. It matters to me. Be strong in your preaching. Be strong in your teaching. Prepare. Study well. You know, be filled with the Spirit so your preaching is effective with the people of God. He could have said, Timothy, be strong in prayer. That's crucial. Timothy, you can preach well, but if you're not praying and seeking the Lord, then things are going to fall apart on you. He could have said, Timothy, be, be strong in your devotional life to make sure you stay solid in your own relationship with the Lord. He could have said, Timothy, be strong in leadership, godly leadership, good leadership. Timothy, that's crucial because you can be a, a great presenter and stand up and wax eloquent in a great teaching. But Timothy, if you're a poor leader, the people are going to suffer. And the church is going to go in wrong directions. He goes, be strong in leadership. He goes, Timothy, be strong in personal holiness or be strong in truth. Be strong in servanthood, in exercising the gifts of the spirit. Lots of different things that certainly would have been great advice. But notice, though all those things are essential, as Paul is closing out his life, he says, Timothy, be strong in grace. Be strong in the grace 
that's in Christ Jesus. What's interesting is when you look at the language there, he's saying, Timothy, let grace, the idea is let grace be the anchor of your soul. Let that be the anchor of your soul, the root system of your soul. Because when Paul says be strong, the Greek there literally is be strengthened inwardly by grace. Really what Paul is conveying to Timothy is Timothy as you journey along and you fight the good fight, there are going to be difficulties that you're going to face. People may abandon and hurt you. He talked about that in chapter 1. Timothy, there are going to be letdowns at times. Problems are going to overwhelm you. Timothy, there's going to be times when you're going to have your own personal failures and be discouraged. And sometimes the power to perform what God is asking you to do is going to just seem like where's the strength going to come from to do that? So he says, Timothy, this is how you're inwardly going to remain strengthened to do what God wants you to do by the grace of God. By the grace of God, you will be strengthened via his grace. Paul appreciated the assurance of grace, I think himself, for his past failures. And Paul had come to greatly appreciate the present supplies of grace that continually came into his life as he needed them. Remember, it was Paul who in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, as he talked about some of his own personal difficulties, and he pleaded with the Lord regarding some problems in his own life and painful experiences, that thorn in the flesh, and Jesus didn't remove the pressure, the pain, the difficulty. He said to Paul, my grace will be sufficient for you. It'll be enough. In other words, Paul, what you think, because it's hurting and is difficult in your life, is going to hinder you, Paul, actually, that actually will help you and from my perspective, I can see them. He said, because you will experience measures of my grace that you would have never known otherwise. And it's to that, remember, Paul says, ultimately, he says, for I came to realize that his power will be perfected in my weakness. And when I am weak, then I'm strong. Because see, so oftentimes, part of our biggest problem is we're too strong. And sometimes God almost has to weaken us so that he can show his strength through us. But it's a wonderful thing to be able to realize that his grace is supplied in this way. So he says, Timothy, you'll be strengthened by the grace that's in Christ Jesus as you stay in a relationship with him. Paul understood grace so well. He's the man of grace and the apostle of grace as he writes about it in his New Testament letters. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 spoke a wonderful thing about grace there where he said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. Paul understood that. He said, look, I, I realize I don't deserve anything and I realize that I don't bring anything at all to the table. I don't think Paul was, was one of these people at all who had any sense that God was using him because he was a really special guy. And sometimes people come across that way. You know, God's using me because can't you tell I'm a special guy? You know, they must have that appearance and persona. I'm a special guy, suave. Paul just understood, you know, I, I, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's just God's grace. He's just being kind to me and somehow he's using me despite who I am. And we need to realize that we need grace for ourselves, all of us do, to remain faithful to those things that God calls us to do, serving him and living out our Christian life. And we need grace for others. We need to emphasize grace when we speak to people and be gracious with people in their failures and their weaknesses. Consider this morning, I would ask you, what is the emphasis of your spiritual life? I hope that it's grace. 
I hope the emphasis of your spiritual life is grace. The writer of Hebrews chapter 13 verse 9 said, It is good that the heart be established by grace. Established by grace, the bedrock. Peter says, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And you know that famous hymn, we all know it, probably one of the most popular ones, Amazing Grace. John Newton wrote that hymn, and I love the phrase in Amazing Grace where he says, Through many dangers, toils and snares, I have already come. Was grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace shall lead me home. John Newton, who wrote that, said this about his own life. He said, I am in myself incapable of standing a single hour without continual fresh supplies of strength and grace from the fountainhead. What a wonderful exhortation. Verse 1, you therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus. He then goes on, verse 2, to say to Timothy, in the things that you have heard from me, among many witnesses, commit these, he says, to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Paul here, verse 2, now begins to encourage Timothy regarding the transmission of the gospel message and the God-given stewardship of healthy, sound doctrine. Remember, he talked about that in chapter 1, healthy, sound doctrine, that that would be perpetuated and it would be passed on successfully to the next generation. He's speaking here in verse 2 about what we would kind of say passing the spiritual baton. He says, Timothy, this sacred trust, this gospel ministry, sound doctrine that I taught you and that you learned under my leadership. Timothy, he's saying, you now have a responsibility to stewardship with this sacred trust and it must be passed on. And the way that's passed on is through routinely replicating the ministry of Jesus. He says, what you've heard and learned from me, commit this to faithful men who then can pass it on once again to the next generation after them. And again, there's this picture of duplication and replication. And I think of Jesus as we talk about the ministry of Jesus they're referring to. Our Lord Jesus, even while he was on this earth being fully man and fully God at the same time, in this beautiful way exemplified healthy ministry, Jesus, who could have done everything himself, right? He was God. He really didn't probably need the help of his disciples. In fact, more often than not, we see Jesus correcting their problems. They're making mistakes. The, the, you know, the, the apostles are really more like B-apostles. I mean, he was constantly fixing their problems and cleaning up their messes. And, but, but Jesus could have done everything himself, but he, instead he included other people in his work. He let the disciples as his representatives go out and teach on his behalf and do his work and he shared his ministry with them because he was investing in them. And again, because of that, the spread and the effectiveness of his ministry took place to a greater degree. And here Paul, as he served in his time period, did the exact same thing. Paul had that same pattern of investing in others sharing the work and the responsibility with others. In fact, he even had a few men who Paul really poured himself into, one of which obviously was Timothy. Timothy and Titus, some of these younger men who Paul just really poured himself into them. And now Timothy is being advised by Paul in verse 2 to follow the same pattern. He says, Timothy, the things that you have heard and learned from me, he says, you now commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So Timothy was to train and to instruct 
others among him now and to pass on what he himself had learned regarding the gospel ministry. Notice you sort of see three generations there in verse 2. You heard from me, you then commit these things to others, and then they, he says, will be able to pass on once again to others after them. He's referring to notice his teaching as well as his lifestyle. And as Paul's telling Timothy, what you've heard and learned from me, you pass it on to faithful men who then will pass it on to others. I also sense that Paul, in the midst of this, is clearly trying to exhort Timothy regarding the fact of just transmitting faithfully what came about originally. In other words, he's wanting Timothy to understand, Timothy, listen, there's not always a need to try and be over-concerned about trying to find some new or novel idea all the time spiritually. Timothy, the things you heard from me, just pass on the same truths. Don't try and get overly creative. Don't try and get all innovative and novel and think, well, you need to get something unique. Or, just keep repeating, Timothy, the same central truths of the gospel message. Keep passing on the same sound doctrine. Listen, at the end of the day, nothing has ever been new since it was written. You know, oh, I feel really bad. I kind of copied that guy's sermon. No, you didn't. Ever since the Bible was originated, nothing's original. And really, honestly, we should be careful that we're not trying to be too original. That we're not trying to be too overly impressive and innovative, but that we're just transmitting the power of the gospel message and the truths of the word of God and presenting them to people in a way that's clear and understandable, that they can grasp them and address them. And, and Paul here is going to ultimately say to Timothy, even over in chapter four, he's going to say, Timothy, look, there's going to come a time when people seem like they're not interested in sound doctrine anymore. And their itching ears want to hear all kinds of other things. Hey, slow down on the sound doctrine could you entertain us a little more and and paul's gonna say timothy don't do that it's not a show timothy we're we're, we're helping people spiritually here we're feeding them the truth of god's word so he says what you've heard from me just keep passing on the same stuff and i think great exhortation for all of us certainly regarding god's message that we don't always feel again we have to look for new and novel ideas try and be impressive just faithfully share the truths of God's word that have been passed along from generation to generation since the day they first came from the very word of God. Just keep transmitting the same truths. It safeguards. Listen, that safeguards sound doctrine. It preserves and protects the sincere gospel message and the integrity of it. And regarding ministry too, he says, Timothy, you've learned these things from me. Commit now things to other men who are faithful and they will then pass them on to others. Paul again here is demonstrating his heart towards Timothy that we should never, any of us in any form of ministry, whether like Paul and Timothy or in any capacity we serve the Lord, unlike the way things kind of are in business, we should never kind of be trying to like retain control worry about job security and, and sometimes that happens in, in business right people don't want somebody else to know how to do what they do because they want job security and we have to be careful in the carnality of our own flesh that we don't ever do that in the church or the things of the lord you know we want to protect our position and and kind of job security so we don't want anyone else to kind of participate or be involved instead we should be consciously investing in others trying to replicate and duplicate the work of the lord 
finding other people who we can help bring alongside and let them learn and grow and experience the same thing so that they can do exactly what we do. And again, the reason is because Jesus' ministry is supposed to be one of constant multiplication, constant spreading. And again, who do we, to know what God has in the future in any of our lives, should the Lord ever redirect one of his workmen, we want the work to just continue onward. And, and listen, I, I tell you, that's important. We, we don't ever want to find ourselves where, in a sense, we feel like we're irreplaceable. I mean, that's kind of a silly idea to think that. Anyway, God help you. God help me, any of us, to think that we're irreplaceable. But we want to really be open and available. Lord, if you ever want your work to spread, to multiply, to, du- to duplicate, then, Lord, we need to constantly be raising up others who can do the same thing so that the work of the Lord just perpetuates and can continue to expand and to impact. That's especially important regarding our next generation, too, that we want to see younger people feel equipped and able to serve. And notice the type of men, verse 2, that Paul tells Timothy to entrust the things of God with notice the type of men he was to look for he said deposit these things with faithful men he says verse 2 commit these things the things of God that are vital the gospel message sound doctrine teaching the word of God the ministry of the Lord commit these things to faithful men notice he doesn't say brilliant men he doesn't say you know those who are greatly educated he doesn't say those who are very talented or gifted He doesn't say those who are accomplished and got a lot of experience. He doesn't say anything other than faithful. Listen, those other things can be perks. Nothing wrong with a person who's a gifted individual or they have talents or maybe they're educated. God can use all those things. They are perks. They are good addendums. But the reality is they're not requirements. God's requirement is faithfulness. Because the reality is all the ability and the gifting and the enablement, that comes from the Spirit of the Lord. That's how it's supposed to happen anyway. Not from somebody's natural abilities. And sometimes we focus upon the wrong. He says, Timothy, look for faithful men. That is, those who are reliable men. Those who are dependable individuals. They're loyal. They're responsible. Utilize, he says, those who are faithful in their walk with the Lord and those who are faithful in the things that they take responsibility to do or commitments that they make. Paul says it's only faithful men who will be able to teach others also. And think that through very logically. I mean, quite frankly, if a person is not able to be faithful, nothing else really matters. You can be the most talented individual in the world. If you don't show up, nothing gets done. You can be the most educated individual, but if you can't be responsible, you can't follow through, you're not reliable, trustworthy, faithful, then your giftings mean absolutely nothing because it's all going to falter because of the lack of faithfulness or the unwillingness to follow through or whatever reason. You know, So again, all those other qualities are kind of rendered null and void if a person doesn't possess the quality of faithfulness. Jesus said a man had two sons and one came and said to him or he said to his first son excuse me son go work today in my vineyard and he answered I will not but then afterward he regretted it and went and then he came to the second and said to him likewise and he said I will go sir but he did not go and Jesus said which one did the will of his father so the first son gets his assignment he says I'm not doing that 
I don't, I'm busy. I don't. I just can't do that. But then afterwards, you regret. You know, I'm being kind of selfish. I need to be faithful and honor. And, and he followed through. Didn't have the best response at first, but he faithfully followed through, even though it was hard to follow through because maybe he was too busy. The second son, hey, can you go take care of the assignment? Oh, absolutely. Yep, I'm committed. Sign me up. But then he never went and did it, and he never was faithful. He never followed through. And Jesus says it's that emphasis of faithfulness. Proverbs 20 says, Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? This quality of faithfulness, this virtue of faithfulness. Again, when Jesus doles out rewards in heaven, what is he going to say? Well done, thou good and faithful servant. That is how the Lord sees his work done honorably and what he rewards. The Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 4 that we are servants of Christ and stewards. And it says, moreover, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. It doesn't say suggested. It says required. It's a requirement of any stewardship that we be faithful. And so Paul says, Timothy, look for men, but look for faithful men. These are the kind that you invest things into. Verse 3 now, through verse 6, he's going to give some analogies of faithfulness, basically. He says, verse 3, You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So the first metaphor regarding faithfulness Paul gives, he's going to give three of them. He's going to give the analogy of a soldier, the analogy of an athlete and the analogy as well there of a farmer. The first one he gives is the analogy of a soldier. And again, a soldier for Christ, he says there, verse 3. He likens us to soldiers for Jesus Christ. And again, if we think about the realities of a soldier, we realize and accept that we are, therefore, as Christians, to be aware that we're engaged in a battle right now spiritually. Ephesians 6 tells us that. That when you got saved by Jesus Christ, whether anybody told you or not, usually people leave that out when they're sharing the gospel, you got drafted. You got signed up. And you got brought into combat, spiritual combat. The Bible tells us in Ephesians 6, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. So there is a spiritual battle. And that, that battle will have continuous battles because really it's a spiritual war, might better be said, until the day that you all the way step into the presence of God. There will be spiritual opposition and resistance, the powers of darkness against the light and the kingdom of God. And so therefore, we cannot and should not expect that if we're going to serve the Lord and we're going to fight our Lord's battles, that life and things are always going to be easy. Or it's always going to be smooth sailing and there's never going to be conflict. Notice in verse 3 here, we see that in a good soldier, there must be two qualities. He says, you be a good soldier of Jesus Christ. And he speaks, I believe, of what a good soldier would be like. One of the qualities of a good soldier, you might say there in verse 3, would be the word durability. Durability. Look what he says in verse 3. He says, in warfare, a soldier has to endure hardship. A soldier has to endure hardship. If you're in a combat zone or you're a soldier, it's difficult. It's dangerous. 
Shots are being fired. Bombs are going off around you. There's smoke. People are getting wounded. There are efforts to resist you and to hinder you. There are things happening that are, are, are difficult. It's hard to rest and fully relax. You're pushed beyond your comfort zone, typically, if you're a soldier. You don't get a chance to have a life at complete ease. Often you may have to go without. Conditions are difficult. And because you're facing the things that you are, your workload and situation, at times it's going to be tiring. It's going to be overwhelming. You may find yourself exhausted and uncomfortable. But again, a soldier can't just curl up and cry because he scraped his knee. Or he can't say, I got a hangnail. I don't want to fight no more. I mean, you just, a soldier can't do that. A soldier can't, you know, well, I don't really feel, I didn't sleep too well last night. Or I mean, the soldier doesn't have that option. A soldier has to exercise endurance and exercise perseverance. There may be times when that soldier feels horrible. And everything within him feels absolutely horrible. But he has a higher calling that he knows, listen, I have a duty. I'm a soldier for Christ. This is a battle. And there's a higher cause at stake here other than maybe just how I feel. I have to press on and keep going because there's a greater cause. And people are dependent upon what I'm doing as a soldier. And so the soldier, to be faithful, has to employ perseverance and be determined to press forward despite hardships. And the same applies spiritually. He says, Timothy, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. It's a call to exercise persistence in the battles we face spiritually in our lives. That we have to be willing to embrace that. At times demonstrate endurance. We have to press on even when it is hard. Not just be a Christian on the days when it's easy. Not just be a Christian and faithful to Jesus on the times when it's easy to be faithful to Jesus. But when it's hard to be faithful to Jesus. When it's difficult to serve the Lord or be obedient. That you have to at times, maybe occasions when it's more intense or there's more resistance. Or maybe you are even at times. Maybe you're hurting at times. Maybe you're genuinely hurting physically or emotionally. There's, those are the times where just because we're hurting, and listen, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't exercise grace, but what I'm saying is don't be a Christian cream puff. I mean, that's just really what... Don't be a Christian cream puff. I mean, the things that we exert determination for, career and pursuits and goals and I mean the things that we will find grit to push through in determination and commitment is phenomenal and I'm just saying if we do that for worldly stuff God help us if we don't see the value of doing that for Jesus and for the sake of the kingdom of God I want to encourage you you know don't be a Christian who lacks backbone determination that the same thing, I mean, the same sufferings that Jesus endured, I mean, we could never do anything close to compare and return to our Lord out of gratitude for what he endured for us to be faithful for our benefit. Serve Jesus with determination and some spiritual grit. Determination, perseverance, that's what a good soldier does. Paul said in Acts chapter 20 regarding his ministry, he says, I, I, I know that I, the Spirit's testifying nothing but chains and tribulations await me there in Jerusalem. But Paul says there, but none of these things move me. Or I don't count my life dear to myself that I may finish my race 
and the gospel ministry that was committed to me. Again, I like that about Paul. Paul didn't count his life dear to himself because Paul gave up his life the day he determined to live for Jesus. He det- it's not about me. I was crucified with Christ. And so Paul said, yes, these things happen. They push against me. They pressure me. But he says, they don't move me. None of these things move me. Can I ask you as a Christian this morning, what does it take to move you? To move you off course to being faithful and still walking with Jesus? Wanting to impress a friend or two at school? Wanting to be cool? Some difficulty or challenge? Listen, we will all face difficulties and challenges. Life's hard. It's really hard sometimes. But it doesn't mean things have to move you from being faithful to Jesus. There are times you say, yeah, it's hard, but I still need to be faithful to Jesus. I still need to serve the Lord and honor the Lord. And we must endure hardship. We're soldiers, good soldiers of Jesus Christ. And not only durability, but also verse 4, he mentions another thing about a a good soldier. If we're going to be a good soldier, then we also have to exercise availability. Availability in verse 4, he says, no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life. Look, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So again, the picture there is a soldier on active duty, a soldier in a combat zone. And again, a soldier in a combat zone or active duty can't get deeply involved in everyday civilian affairs like everyone else is. He just doesn't have that freedom because he's a soldier in a combat zone. He's a soldier on active duty. So uh, not that those things are wrong, but he can't be overly bogged down in everyday affairs because he needs to be freed up and available to obey the orders of his commanding officer. And he needs to be available at all times to respond to whatever his commanding officer would ask him to do, readily available. If he's too entrenched and entangled in the affairs of everyday life, it would hold him back. It would hinder him. He wouldn't be able to be a good and faithful soldier. He has to live different than others around him. And see, the same applies to us spiritually as soldiers of Christ. We have to be careful as soldiers for Christ serving our Lord And our commanding officer at times wants to speak to us and tell us what he would desire from us to please him. We have to be careful we don't become, listen, overly entangled in the affairs of this everyday life. I I want you to understand, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with enjoying life. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with simple pleasures and living activities on this earth. The problem is, quite frankly, we know, we just tend to get over entangled in the affairs of this life. We just tend to get overly entrenched and overly engaged in the things of this world, especially as American Christians, and we're so entangled in the worldly lifestyle of American, you know, kind of living that all these worldly attachments and obligations sometimes start to hinder our spiritual lives. And they can start to hold us back because we're so encumbered in all these things and chasing this and pursuing that and maintaining this and obtaining that and and we get so encumbered because we're so entangled as he says here with the affairs of this everyday life and world we're just not freed up to walk with the Lord and we don't have time for the things of the Lord or we're so overcommitted in other things we're inhibited certainly from being fruitful for the Lord we may still have our salvation and we're going to heaven but we're just sort of a unfruitful and sometimes almost carnal Christian. And we're not using our life in any way for the Lord. We become rendered inactive. Jesus spoke about how the cares of this life can choke out the spiritual life. 
And this is the warning here. Notice the reason for the soldier is he says he can't be engaged in the affairs and entangled in the affairs of this life like encumbered that, verse 4, he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. See, there's a, there's a reason for this because our first calling is not to please ourselves. Our first calling is not, hey, I need to live a life of pleasure. Our first calling is, I'm a servant of Jesus. I'm a soldier of the Lord Jesus Christ. My first calling is to please my commanding officer, is to please Jesus, to do whatever he would ask me to do with the rest of my life on this earth. And it doesn't mean I can't enjoy my life, but what it means is I need to be freed up at any moment that if I'm called up to say, yes, Lord, what would you have me do? How can I be available to you? How can I serve you and let my life be useful to him to fulfill the kingdom of God's purposes? Verse 5, he then gives the next illustration of faithfulness regarding a picture of an athlete. Verse 5, he says there, and also if anyone competes in athletics, he's not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So in another analogy of faithfulness, he speaks now of the discipline of an athlete. In verse 5 here, and again, in the Greek and Roman games, athletes went in tremendous strict discipline in order to perform and compete when they prepared and when they ultimately performed in their competitions. In preparation to compete, in order to be victorious, they even had to make honor commitments to the judges prior to the games that they would live according to a certain diet, that they would practice so many you know, times a week, and they had to make these honor commitments even before they could compete in the games themselves, that they would live with a sense of discipline over their lives and their actual participation when they ran their event, everyone was required to observe the rules. That's what he's talking about here in verse 5. He says, if you compete in athletics, you're not going to be crowned unless you compete according to the rules. See, if you're on the Olympic track or in the Greek games there and you're you know, going around the track there, you couldn't if you were tired and kind of falling behind, just kind of cut across the grass field. And say, so well, well, I was tired. What do you want? I just I was tired. There's two more laps I got to do still here. Give me a break. I mean, you could do that, but one thing was going to happen. You're disqualified. No reward for you because there were no exceptions for anyone. Everyone was obligated and there were no exceptions to bend the rules. And if you cheated or failed to observe the established rules, then you were disqualified and typically you obviously lost your reward. And see, the Christian life in the Bible is often likened to athletics. We see many athletic metaphors in the Bible regarding living the Christian life. In the same way, a believer must exercise discipline. We have to maintain certain disciplines like an athlete if we're going to stay spiritually healthy and if we're going to be victorious in running our race in the things of the Lord. We have to stay in our lane. And we have to stay within the boundaries of, of God's rule book, if you would, the word of God, and, and maintain that discipline. We must maintain moral integrity and personal purity, that what the word of God says becomes our rule book in regards to how we live our life, and that there is a standard that God requires of us. And so we have to live consistent to the boundaries of God's word. And, and God, understand, is a just judge. And because God is a just judge, he's not going to accommodate violations. He's not going to accommodate going into the other lane or cutting across the track just because you felt like it. 
God is going to be very just and he's not going to allow us to bend the rules and give us special exceptions. And sometimes we make the mistake in the sinfulness and weakness of our own flesh to think sometimes that we can violate moral guidelines and we can disregard the truths and standards of the word of God and somehow God will make an exception for us. Or God will give us an allowance. And, and yeah, I know I shouldn't be living this way, but, but God's kind of given me an allowance. And, and others, you know, but, but I, I kind of need this allowance because it's just my weakness. God says, no, everybody plays by the same rule book. This is the standard. And God doesn't make those allowances. Second John, uh, Second John verse 8 says, look to yourselves that you do not lose the things that you have worked for. Living upright and consistent and in God's word is not only important for the Christian, but please hear me, all the more than just being a Christian, if you want to engage in the work of the Lord and you want to be useful to the Lord and you want to serve the Lord, you have to first choose to live right personally before you're going to try and step out and serve other people practically. And you have to be willing first to submit to the rule book and recognize I need to compete according to the rules myself. And if you're not observing the rules yet yourself, you probably might want to put the brakes on and be a little bit more patient before you go try and run off and serve other people. It's important, again, to honor the Lord, especially if we're going to serve Him. And once a person's in ministry, listen, if somebody's in ministry and they start to deviate morally, God in His good timing has no problem putting people on the bench. And he's not limited. I tell you, he always has substitutes. Always. He's not limited. God help us, especially if we're serving the Lord, to never think that we can serve the Lord and break the rules and all of it's okay because it will catch up in time. It will catch up in time. And God will ultimately intervene. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 9, I discipline my body and bring it into subjection lest when I preach to others, I myself should become disqualified we have to compete according to the rules of God's word if we want to be successful and victorious he says verse 6 the other analogy the hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crop so another measure demonstrated of faithfulness Paul speaks of a soldier then an athlete and the last analogy he uses here is a picture of the diligence of a farmer and the illustration of faithfulness in a farmer, diligence is steadiness or earnestness and energetic effort. You notice verse 6 there, look at the text. He says, it's the hardworking farmer. That's purposeful. The hardworking farmer. It's not easy being a farmer. It's long hours. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of effort. There are many disappointments. It's a thankless job. When's the last time you went down to a local farmer? I just want to thank you for everything you do in your field. I mean, it doesn't, it rarely ever happens. Farming's hard work. It's essential work, but it's hard work. Many times farmers just make enough to get by. It's long days and difficult work. And if a farmer is not hardworking, he's not going to partake of any crops for himself, for his family, to supply and help and bless others. Farmer also has to be very patient in working his fields. Galatians 6.9 says this to us, let us not grow weary in well-doing for at the proper time we shall reap a harvest if we don't lose heart or give up. And again, this same analogy, the farming analogy is a good illustration of God's work in God's fields. 
Because in working in God's field, it's a lot like farming. It's not easy labor. It requires time and effort and energy to serve and minister to people. And and much of spiritual ministry, listen, much of spiritual ministry, whether it's in your family first, and that's where it should begin, or whether it's serving in the church that you're a part of, or whether it's trying to reach people out in the world, a lot of it is just work. It's just sacrificing of yourself and tirelessly putting in time and labor and willingness to show up early and stay late and just make yourself available to do what needs to be done and willing to let your life be poured out. And if we are not willing to be hardworking and faithful in our service, it's not going to use to be very fruitful service. And you notice he says in verse 6 there, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. I think another principle conveyed there is that the farmer must first provide resources for himself and his own family. He must first partake of the crops. He must provide resources for himself and his own family before he can supply the neighbors and the community with what they need. And I think this is essential. There's a natural order of putting food on his own table first before he tries to help the neighbors. And this is very important. It illustrates God's spiritual order. All our faithfulness and our willingness in all arenas must begin at home. It must begin at home. In our personal lives, our family lives, diligently working our own fields, meeting the needs of our own family, tending to and caring for the fields of our own family physically and emotionally and spiritually and making sure that has been well taken care of and until we adequately address the needs at home, we really should not be trying to run around the world and helping the neighbors. And this is important because sometimes we glamorize the work of the Lord and people want to run all over helping the neighbors and they're neglecting the field at home. And God says the hard work farmer must first partake of the crops himself. You have to take care of the field at home first. And when that field at home has been well taken and well taken care of, then that gives you the basis to then go out, help the neighbors, help the community. Paul ends verse 7 by saying, And Timothy, consider what I say. Meditate on it, he says. And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. So as Paul closes, he says, Timothy, consider these things. Think over them. Meditate on them. The idea is take those truths and just kind of walk with them. And say, Lord, give me further insight about what this really means and how it's important. Don't don't just gloss over it, he's trying to say. Consider what I say. Take some time to contemplate and meditate upon these things. But notice also he speaks of the dependence of spiritual revelation. He says, and as you're doing your part, he says, may the Lord give you understanding in all things. We have a part to meditate and think, but notice the natural mind can only accomplish so much. When we do what we're doing here this morning, studying the Word of God together, reading it personally, we have to realize this isn't just an academic exercise. It's not just like a lecture in a college hall. We're reading a book, a textbook at home when we read the Word of God. May the Lord give you spiritual understanding. There's a need to be dependent upon the Spirit of God and the Lord to illuminate us and to give us deeper understanding for what it means for our life personally speaking it into us in a personal way. I love Luke 24. It says that Jesus opened their minds to comprehend the scriptures. And we need to depend upon the Lord 
for his understanding in our lives. Let me leave you with this thought this morning. Life has battles. And it's hard work in the fields of this world because it's a sin-cursed world. So life has its battles and it's hard work in the fields of this world and winning and productive life is a challenging thing. But the bottom line is this. This morning, despite what you are facing, by the grace of God, you can do it. By the grace of God strengthening you, you can stand strong in the battle You can run the race and you can cross the finish line. Amen?